0: Hello, this is uh, the second episode of the Layover Podcast. Hello, Alex, how are you? Uh,
1: good. Yeah, we, we made it to the second episode. Hooray.
0: <laughs> well, so it's quite an achievement by itself, right? <laughs> it's the first layover of the show, actually. You there know. you are. Two Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, continuing in, your, in our tradition, oh, I mean, the tradition we're actually setting up now, uh, the news of the week. You had a very good news of the week first.
1: I, I've been waiting for this one for like 10 years uh, but it's finally happening there will be a new air Force one um, uh-huh. the uh, the American presidential plane which uh, is going to be a 747
0: 800 haha we talked about that last week about which that I, week. We yeah
1: I, I think I think surprised quite a few people I think we all thought it's either gonna be a triple seven yeah. uh, or a 787 so when this came out it was uh it was first broken by I can't remember who it was, but then the uh, the the U.S. Air Force came out and said yes, that's it is true we are gonna to move to the seven four eight, and I think it's the 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 four engines that they were um, they yeah. were most interested in. But the current one is a it's a it's the design, official designation is a VC twenty five, but it's a highly modified uh, 747-200 um, that has been in use since nineteen ninety. There's two of them. And they've been in use for so they're going to earn their retirement after a lot of hard work.
0: What? What? what, what, Why? Why do you
1: say that they were interested in the four engines? Uh, They didn't come out and explicitly say that, but there was a hint that uh, you know four engines is is kind of what they were after. they, the, the RFP was four engine wide-body aircraft is what was needed for Air Force One's mission and so the only I, I couldn't imagine them going for a, for a 340 or a, or a 380 <laughs> well, that wouldn't, I, wouldn't, but you know they didn't dismiss it they 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 put it out and of course um, surprisingly quote unquote the 747-800 uh, the was what it was I think it's going to be uh, quite a few years before it actually comes into action um, and there was an interesting uh, comment that uh, perhaps it was even you that made this. That um, once that 747-800 rolls off the line, that uh, that we might see the end of the the 747 line.
0: Yeah, I read something about that. That's apparently. Uh, I mean, of course, all of these are rumors. That apparently, the uh, since you know, this that plane is not a very big success. Because basically, besides Lufthansa, for the non-cargo version, there's almost no orders. (laughs) So there was like a rumor that it might kill the program off or maybe just keep it just for cargo. We don't know. But uh, the reason I've asked you about this four engine is because we said last week the the industry is going the other direction, looking obviously for more efficiency with two engines. Do you think it's a safety feature to have four Uh, engines?
1: I Generally, no. I don't think so. I think that with the reliability and capability of modern aircraft engines, you know, with all modern two-engine airplanes can take off on one engine, and I think that that's remarkable. And I don't think that there's a case for redundancy anymore, but I think the requirements of the United States Air Force for the presidential airplane are going to be a little bit different than, you know, Virgin Atlantic's requirements for an airplane or, or, or anybody else. So I think that they may have Slightly less efficiency concerns and more safety uh, Redundancy uh, and and kind of operational readiness um, that that might skew towards a four-engine airplane, but it's exciting It'll be it'll be neat to see a 748 in Air Force One's colors
0: yeah, uh, though I don't think we, either of us will ever get the chance to get on board. <laughs> but, I, mean, I no. mean, neither of us actually have been on a 747 800 yet. I mean, the, uh, yeah, I uh, and we both would like to. So I uh, hopefully it won't, won't be the Air Force One. Might be Lufthansa actually. But well, it will be <laughs> enough. Uh, another tidbit which is nothing to do with uh, an aircraft this time is uh, I mean we both live in London, and uh, uh, if you guys listening to us have been living here. There's quite a debate about, you know, the ETHRO versus Gatwick, second runway for Gatwick, a third runway for ETHRO, you can even see like a lot of posters in the tube and etc, etc. And Gatwick just made an announcement that they were going to uh, basically go for the world's largest self-service backdrop zone. So they're really pushing the envelope, saying that, uh, I mean, we know that Gatwick has more of a low-cost profile than uh, Ether. I wouldn't say that it's only low-cost. That would be more StanSed or Luton. But they are really pushing this envelope. They say they want to virtually eliminate all queues, which I don't
1: know if it's and going ambitious to work. What do you think statement. about that? ambitious statement. I think that's gonna p- come back and bite them in the rear end with saying something like that. Um, it's so funny because the new the, the modernization of the south terminal and the, and the, the complete refurbishment of the security lanes there um, it looks great and when they have more than three lanes open works brilliantly. you're through in no time. But they never have more than three lanes open, so they can redesign and reprocess the thing until the cats come home. But it seems like it's just pure, pure staffing thing. Um, yeah,
0: plus, plus, I mean, there may be an answer they they made the announcement. They said that they would do it whether or not they would have a second runway, which decision should be happening soonish. Uh, and they don't have. I think if they get a second runway, it won't happen before 2019 at the earliest. But still, uh, I. I have the same predicament as you. I mean, it's I'm not sure it's gonna. They, they they say that they will have queues cut down from from 45 to seven minutes, which obviously would be a dream for any passenger. And I know you take that airport quite often. But I, I have, I mean, I, I, I get. I, I guess it's mostly in this war uh, war of words we're seeing between Heathrow and Gatwick, which is quite. Of actually fun to see how they each uh, trying to up the ante against the other and I guess that's maybe part of it more than an actual possibility. Not yeah. that they will do it but the actual result might not be the one they are promising.
1: Yeah I, I, I think it's a it's a big promise and, I, and I, I you're right I think it's a strategic move in this broader battle for uh, that extra runway which was made even more complicated by EasyJet's comments last week that they would prefer it to be it yeah, <laughs>
0: the, a... Yeah, actually, the uh, the overall sentiment. I mean, it's can kind of always hard to tell, but it seems that Ethro in the past few months has has been hedging over 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 uh, Gatwick in terms of popular support. I mean, it's still, of course, not clear cut because there's a lot of opposition. I live under one of the pathway landing pathways from Ethro, and I know that. Not a lot of people around me are really looking for uh, an expansion of the airport, but it seems at least that uh, Gatwick is losing a little bit of support in the past few months, and maybe that's part of why they're doing this. I don't know. Anyway.
1: Yeah, it's a weird one.
0: (laughs) Well, that's something we'll continue. Obviously, both Living and London will continue monitoring just because it's really close to us. Uh, Next piece of news, Alex.
1: (laughs) This makes me sad. I never like talking about when airlines file for bankruptcy, but this is this is the weirdest story, so it's it's Skymark Airlines who are, are an airline in Japan and they're kind of, what a horrible market to compete in when you have two massive incumbents um, with either direct or indirect government support in in all Nippon and, and Japan Airlines, but they've been around for a while um, as kind of a low, as close to Japan has as a low-cost carrier and it's it's strange to me because they've shifted strategy so many times from yeah. low cost carrier and then they said okay we're going to go we're going to go luxury long haul in 2010, and they ordered a bunch of A380s. Yeah, yeah,
0: well, you mentioned that last week. Yeah, that was a big thing. They were they were the first carrier in Japan to order an A380, which was a big piece of news. And then they didn't have the money to actually pay for it.
1: <laughs> to pay for them? Yeah, it's like they were. They said we're going to order four with the options for two, and we're going to use them on big trunk international trunk routes like London, Frankfurt, New York. Um, and it was like the worst strategic move because right at that time, a bunch of new low-cost carriers came in and squeezed them on the routes that they'd been operating for the last 10 years. So you had people like uh, Vanilla, who were I think called Peach before that, AirAsia Japan, Jetstar Japan, who were coming in and sort of squeezing them. And of course, you when they introduced A380 service or even talked about it, then JAL and ANA, you know started to, to, to tighten the screws from that and so they were getting squeezed at both ends and it was they, they defaulted on the uh, the air uh, A380 orders Airbus threatened to sue them there was talk that jail might pick up the might do a strategic investment in Skymark which they did and that they would take the A380s that all fell through but the weird and I don't think we've heard the end of the story because the same week that they announced their bankruptcy uh restructuring, both JAL and ANA said that they were going to file for code sharing with Skymark, same day. (laughs) So there's something strange, this is domestic code sharing, so there's something there where, I'm not sure what it is, but…
0: It's a gutter market. I I used to live there. Uh, Actually, a piece of trivia, I think one of the busiest, if not the busiest route in the world is between uh, Tokyo and Osaka. I mean, you have actually 747s for only economy, like a single-class economy flying. That's right. Boeing
1: (laughs) Boeing made that special version of the 747-400 without winglets and ultra-high-density seating just for that market, which is unbelievable, isn't it?
0: So, which, which always kind of pointed to the question that maybe at some point one of these uh, airlines would get an A380, because if they can actually fill an entire 747 for such a short route, why not the A380, although maybe the economics are not there for such a short route. But, I mean, it's, it's, it's a bit sad. I agree with you. I mean, though the market is really... Uh, I, I would say one thing is like when you go there it seems like every other city has an airport. It's just mm-hmm. almost insane. Uh, there's this, uh, there's a lot of uh, public investment when I say public by government uh, whichever level it is to add airport capacity and I'm not sure actually that there's enough people flying for that. I mean it's, it's, it's sad news but as you say I'm not sure we've heard the last bit about it. There must be a lot of back stuff happening in a back that we don't know about yet yeah
1: it's going to be interesting to see how that that plays out yeah for a more uh, tr- more trivial
0: piece of news that was <laughs> I just double that upon i think it was two weeks ago there's i don't know if you've ever flown american i don't fly them a lot because i'm not a one world uh alliance uh, member i mean i have a few miles from ba but not that many although I live in the UK, so pretty sad, but that's it. Uh, and they have one thing that I've, I've I tasted twice. They have this cookie that they, they do in, in, in first class in the US, whose first class is our business class in Europe whatever. And it's sure it's that it was always very nice. The few times I flew them uh, domestically in the US, and uh, they apparently changed the cookie a few <laughs> months month ago. And it was a big uproar. I mean, every time there's these kind of things happening, obviously. So the cookie was not baked in the plane anymore. It was just heated in the plane. And that led to a lot of uproar, which is always very nice to see. Apparently, though, the reason, that, and that's interesting, is that since um, uh, U.S. Airways uh, that uh, has been acquired by American, apparently it has only a single uh, oven on board. So they cannot actually accommodate to actually bake a cookie. And this is why they align, so American aligns its policies to the, the lesser uh, aircraft, basically. <laughs> it's <laughs>
1: Amazing what people will get pissed off about, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I'll I'll get to to a story about, uh, I fly Swiss a lot, Alex, and uh, there's this uh, famous Swiss chocolate to give uh, and uh, for everyone so not only first class, but for everyone at every flight. I get it a story, but the same same thing happened, they change the recipe and people are in uproar. It's always fun, it's a bit trivial, but it's always fun to see that, you know, even though the US uh, market in terms of, uh, the airlines are not really appreciated, you know, they they always say that there's a cutthroat business, that there's not enough, I mean the quality of the airlines are not in terms of customer experience, is not there, but still, you know, there's a cookie, and people yeah. are really love their cookies, right?
1: And there's something—I mean, it's a—it's a classic s- tactic in the U.S. when you're selling your house, bake cookies when you're doing an open house, so that the house smells warm and, and inviting and tasty. And Midwest Express or Midwest Airlines, who are our defunct airline in the U.S., they did bake the cookies on the airplane, so when you got on, the whole plane smelled like chocolate chip cookies, mm-hmm. and boy, did that work well. <laughs> I mean not well enough to save the airline obviously but uh, it was a nice little differentiator.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Anyway, moving on. <laughs> so this next piece is really kind of interesting. Uh, we offline, you and I talk often about uh, the um, investment strategy of these, of a lot of Middle Eastern carriers, especially Etihad and Qatar who are doing strategic investments in airlines around the world. Well, Cathay Airways, it, it has been announced last week, acquired just under nine point nine nine percent of IAG, which is British Airways and Iberia's parent company, and that's huge for a bunch of different reasons. Um, it was, I think, one point one three billion pounds in value. Wow. Um, and. On the face of it, it's like, okay, this makes sense. You're One World Partners. BA was your sponsor for for, for entry into, into the One World, World Alliance. But IAG have a seat on Heathrow's board, and now Qatar Airways have an indirect seat on the board. Mm-hmm. And the CEO of, uh, of Qatar Airways has been very vocal about his uh, opinion that Heathrow should be a 24-hour operation. And uh, now he has sort of an indirect influence over that, um, which is very, very interesting to me. I think it's hugely beneficial for for both airlines, um, for operationally from a slots perspective, code sharing, uh, and, and that type of thing. But also, it will be very interesting to see what they do with the future of Heathrow when these guys together control an extraordinary amount of the slots that that go into that airport. Um,
0: Yeah, it's actually, I mean, Etihad has been doing a lot of inroads in Europe. I mean, we both know they they bought uh, Alitalia, I think 49%, was it, of Alitalia last year? Yeah. They also bought Darwin, which is a regional airline based in Switzerland that does, uh, you know, some uh, very short haul flights. They renamed it Etihad Regional. Uh, I mean they, they really try to expand. Only Emirates actually. Emirates doesn't really invest in other airlines. They stay, they have this huge of course their huge um, fleet and they're really uh, focusing on, 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 on Dubai and extending all over the world. Although they've done, they're starting doing some uh, flights that are not leaving from Dubai from Europe to the US for instance. But really Etihad and and Qatar and, and probably are looking to a different strategy and try to expand differently. Maybe because the, the Emirates would be maybe too hard to beat on their own turf.
1: I don't know. Yeah, and I think that it's an interesting strategy in terms of uh, spread betting is not the right word, but it's you know strategic investments in other markets, um, especially for Atiatis all over the place, like you know the ones that you said, and also fairly substantial stake in Virgin Australia um, uh, as well. I, on the face yeah. of it, it seems pretty smart. Um, yeah. You yes. diversify as well, so... Yeah, uh, you know, but this IAG one, I think, is going to be really interesting to follow to see the the fallout um, and how it influences Heathrow's kind of future plan, especially with that runway decision coming up pretty soon.
0: Yeah. Plus, we mentioned last week that IAG was about to acquire Aer Lingus as well. So it's, yeah. Uh,
1: so this quite a formidable uh, team is coming together here. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs>
0: uh, another. It's not exactly news, it is, but it, I, I, I didn't know where to put it. But I, I found it interesting that this—I uh, read this article. It was on Skift uh, a few weeks ago, and uh, since you, you were just talking about the, the the Gulf Airlines the rise of the Gulf Airlines, uh, which is a very big topic that we'll keep talking about, obviously, because it's one of these big trends uh, in our, in air travel. But there's so how do we compete with that, right? And uh, so if you are uh, a big airline, which is I don't know, a BA or an Air France, or you you might you know you have a huge capacity, you can actually maybe play strategically different. But how do you survive if you're one of the, you're neither a low cost, so you're neither an easy jet airline Lingus, so um, sorry Ryanair, right mm-hmm. <laughs> I just call Air Lingus. LCC. Sorry for that guys. But you. How do you survive? So, how, if you're a middle-sized airline, how do you survive? And there was this this interview um, from a, from a, a Peter Davis, and he said that one of the avenues that could be interesting is to follow the hotel route, which you know you have the big ones, so the very big chains. Uh, you have the boutique hotels, with you know it's like a very it's just a unique hotel that has a, a very unique value proposition. And in the middle, you have these. Groups of hotels, so you have a lot of hotels that are regrouped under uh, uh, brands that actually are some kind of like a overarching brand on top of it. So you you align a lot of, of small hotels that used to be independent into a larger group, so you can you can align their strategies and align their pricing, the booking system, etc., etc. And you argue that one of the solution would be for these middle sized um, airlines to actually align themselves. I, I the, the obvious reservation is that. The, the, the problem usually with all these middle-sized airlines is that they still have a, a, a very strong tie to, a, a, to nations, to states, yeah. and how do you actually align you a know, different state that will actually maybe make too much of a hurdle? But I mean, what do you think about just the general idea? Do you think it's something actually viable?
1: Uh, well, no. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll tell you why. I, I think theoretically it makes a lot of sense, but the problem uh. That you have is that hotels are very good at balancing uh, creature comforts and brand with the local needs and requirements and and uh, of where they're physically located. An airline can't do that because you you know you wake up you go to bed in London wake up in Singapore and everything's different. Um, and you're also catering to a much different, a much broader variety of of, of person and needs and, and wants. I think domestically or even regionally, it could definitely work. Um, but if you go too niche, uh, then you run the risk of not having enough custom to cover costs. It's a very, you know, your a hotel, the the physical building will amortize over the life of the hotel, whereas an airplane, it's not that efficient. So I think, in terms a of product offering, it might be a way of looking at it, but. You know, everyone seems to be going lowest common denominator these days. So yeah,
0: I because that—that that, that that, thats also my biggest uh, reservation about the model. Is that at the end of the day, when you look at it, uh, price sensitivity is still a major margin. Yeah. people are looking for a, a deal, you know. And you can you can create a brand of uh, regrouping a few European airlines and say, oh, they you know they play with the tradition of this and that country, that region. Let's say I don't know the Baltics. Or at the end of the day people still look for the cheapest deal and the yeah. LCC have it figured out so i yeah, don't know
1: absolutely absolutely and i think people will endure a mediocre airline product because they know they're on it for a finite amount of time and they get to get off at the end hotels a little bit of a different story
0: yeah correct so moving on to the second segment the a uh, a bit more innovation air tech you know and and all these um, branding as well Uh, First, an app that I've spotted uh, last week, which is called Hopper. Uh, There's always this big question, and you see like tons of blog posts and articles about when is the best time to buy an airplane ticket. You know, supposedly there's a sweet spot, four weeks, some say six weeks, and then it depends on which market you are, depends if you're flying domestic or international, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So there's this app that promises you to never miss a deal and that basically algorithmically I mean I don't know how it works in the back end but tells you uh, in a nice graph actually gives you like an ID when is the best pricing period for say tr- said travel so it's pretty well done I'm actually I haven't really tried because I haven't booked anything with it but I would like to, to know what you think about the whole concept of this.
1: Don't you think it's weird that it's only an app? What do you mean not, by that? Not and not w- like a website as well that you can you can book on. Um, well,
0: I, I don't know. Maybe okay. That's maybe the mobile first, the mobile only type of trend that we're seeing. Obviously, and that's maybe. Uh, a better they, way to okay.
1: Do. And that it, it, looking at it is it is mobile first, but they do have uh, a, a site there. I mean, the 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 strategy is is sensible. I mean, as as they say, that a lot of a lot of these flight prediction tools that we've had, you know, for the last ten years now, are looking at historical data. Um, and these guys are looking at um, predictive data, which is sort of you know what's been available versus what's available now, um, and using that to sort of predict availability and price. So, in theory, it sounds great, um, and this this type of stuff is fantastic because you're right. There's no hard and fast rule when you buy. So if they can, if they can really turn this into a science, then they could do really, really well. The airlines all hate them, but they'll do really, really well.
0: <laughs> I mean, I, I, well, it's interesting. At least they, you know, they give you like a. Play, uh, of course, uh, since you if you install it on your phone, they'll give you like a, a notification, like, hey, now is the right time to buy because it's just the, the the you know the cheapest we've seen on that deal, and predictably, it will it will actually rise again or something. I don't know. It's it's interesting. I've seen other website obviously doing that. There's one that it's it's not mobile at all, but I really like. It's called adioso.com. Yeah. I, I love it because it has this thing that you can uh, you can say, I mean, it's not something for everyone because you must be very flexible on your dates. But if you say, I want to go to, let's say, Hong Kong, since it's the name of the show this week, HKG, I want to go to Hong Kong anytime in the future for five days uh, minus plus one. And it will just, you know, sh- look at all possibilities and give you the, the cheapest deal for that. And they also can follow up on the, that deal and tell you you can Put a price alert and tell you that. I mean, so that's interesting. I mean, obviously, that's not, again a model that works for everyone. Usually, people have vacation days and they kind of just say, "I want to go," whatever. It's possible, but it's it's a it's, it's a fine it's a it's a fine project. I think.
1: Yeah, I do. I do too. I think even if they don't crack the whole when should I buy my ticket, they, just the pure amount of data that they're going to crunch will be so invaluable. Uh, the kind of data exhaust that they create is going to be really interesting to look at in the next few years.
0: Anyway, moving on to
1: more virtual reality stuff. <laughs> yeah, this this is uh, kind of cheesy, but it'll be interesting to see if it works. So, Qantas and Samsung have t- have teamed up to provide premium cabin passengers on selected routes with virtual reality goggles um, <laughs> for watching movies and looking at uh, destination videos for for for. Uh, uh, for some of the places that the Qantas flies. <laughs> and, you know, the, the the press photos are exact, you know, they're very cheesy. Um, I think it's an interesting play. I don't know if it's going to go anywhere simply because... Uh, if you've ever worn a VR set, a headset uh, or anything like, like Oculus Rift, there's a difference. These, the Oculus Rift is, is kind of revolutionary in that you're looking kind of 360 around when you move your head, the vision views. I think with these ones, it's more projecting a, a big screen in front of you or what appears to be a big screen in front of you. But when you're moving and it's not, you can get quite disoriented. And I wonder if this is just going to make people feel really motion sick. As soon as they are watching a, a you know a chase scene or whatever in a movie and the and the plane is turbulent or something like that, I, I uh, <laughs> it's a nice I, little PR thing. I can't imagine it becoming the real deal.
0: Yeah, I mean we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that in uh, in a few minutes because that's the main topic of, of the week is uh, the IFE, so the entertainment on board, but. About VR, I mean, obviously VR is coming up. I mean, we've seen that Facebook bought bought Oculus, Oculus uh, Rift. There's, I mean, no consumer product yet. I mean, there's a lot of test uh, products, but it's not hasn't been released. So Samsung is releasing that one. Sony is releasing another one. It's a bit early, and yeah. maybe we'll come. I I remember seeing. I would have to look it up, but I remember seeing. I think I've shared it with you. Maybe even on on layovers, the uh, there was a patent by I think it was Airbus that they would actually have a, a patent for a seat. Yes. That you, you would sit there and you would be able to have an entire helmet going around you with surround sound and with obviously a lot of visuals and stuff. I don't think they mentioned in the patent but I would have to look it up so don't, don't to trust my word. I don't think they mentioned any type of entertainment. It was more about oh, we'll make your flight look very smooth even there's a lot of turbulences because Like exactly what you just mentioned—the fact that you know people could be feeling dizzy because of, you know, looking at a chase, a cop chase in a movie. Mm. On the opposite, they would say, "Oh, we'll make it so smooth that even if there are actual turbulences in the flight, you won't actually feel them because we'll put you in a mood that is almost bliss." (laughs) Yeah,
1: interesting.
0: (laughs) Again, it's just a patent, right? But. I mean, we'll see. Uh, again, we'll, we'll talk that about uh, in a few minutes. I, I'm not sure. It's, it's a lot of investment, a lot of weight. I'm not, I'm not sure a lot
1: of people actually. But I mean, it's a nice marketing play, though. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's a, we're talking about it. You know, it's 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 an interesting one. I I, I we'll see. We'll see. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Another uh, talking still in the plane, but a different part of the uh, of the experience of the plane is. Do you do you still watch the uh, because you're a freaking traveler? You still watch the uh, safety
1: movies? Alex? I do. Yeah. I do. I, I watch the safety demonstrations. I listen. I check out the safety card.
0: I mean, especially in long haul, flights, and short haul, there might not always be uh, movies. Uh, still, I can still know, demonstrations being made. But the movies, you know, there's been a, uh, an, a whole, you know, in the past, let's say, five to ten years, there's been like this new breed of movies that are either fun or, you know... <laughs> There's, uh, I think, Air New Zealand does one with The Hobbit and all these uh, Lord of the Rings. I've seen the Delta one that goes 80s, the way you see Alf and other. (laughs) Obviously, the Virgin ones are very, very, very famous. uh, Starflyer, I flew them in, in Japan. It's kind of a low cost. They have ninjas all over the place. I mean, but it's true that besides that, there's a lot of difficulty to actually make people watch them, and you can see that if you look around you, the people yeah. are still either reading their newspaper or with their headset on and just not paying attention anymore. So uh, I'm not sure if the answer is there, but there's this uh, company that released a, an app called Life Vest, <laughs> which is basically makes. Uh, I, I haven't tested it. You know, I've only read about it. I, I didn't even look for it, but it would be to engaged uh, passenger more with you know time challenges and a bit more uh, an experience of what would you do in case of uh, of an emergency, how fast can you get out of the plane, etc. Etc. Do you think it's actually something that would work? I actually am very doubtful.
1: I am too. I mean if we can't get people to watch a 90-second safety demonstration that's happening right in front of them, and the only thing that's happening right in front of them, getting them to use an app, I think, is even more of a challenge. Yeah, um, and it's a nice idea. Anything that gets people thinking about this type of thing, um, you know, when it's not an emergency, is, is, uh, I think, good, and I applaud their effort. But uh, well, I don't know if it's gonna. <laughs> Yeah, but yes. at, at
0: the end of the day, because they, they say that it it helps keeping the the attention alive, which is exactly what I, I I'm sure airlines would like you to to have. You're in a better attention span, but you play it once and you beat all the records or whatever, and you're never gonna play it a second time. I mean, you know, it's it's I I don't think. I mean, it's 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 a nice. I, I'm not criticizing them for trying it. Let's be. No, clear. no, it's I'm a just good saying that it's I'm not sure he actually solves the issue of people not really paying attention to the safety procedures at all. No, me either. Anyway,
1: <laughs> moving on. Go so,
0: on. Uh, uh, I was yeah.
1: interested in this statistic that uh, that I stumbled across last week that uh, it, for in-flight Wi-Fi installation, the U.S. is is way ahead of the game um, compared to anywhere else in the world. Um, my uh, baby, the Virgin America launched with, with Wi-Fi. Um, so they are the only uh, airline in the world with the entire fleet is, is hooked up. Um, but I was really surprised to hear that that the US leads it. And I think um, Alaska, Virgin America, and United have uh, the majority of their planes have Wi-Fi uh, and electrical. Delta, I think, has most of their fleet. And Delta's fleet is gargantuan. Um, Southwest are, are, are rolling it out. This stat was was crazy to me that all of the most traveled domestic routes in the US which is defined as those with at least 20 flights in each direction uh, now every single one of them has Wi-Fi which is the, the and the consumer said that expectation because yes, those are obviously business business heavy routes. Outside of the US there are only nine carriers that have Wi-Fi and more than 20 uh, percent of their airplanes.
0: Have you, have you have you ever had Wi-Fi in, uh, in a flight in
1: Europe? No.
0: I I've never. Uh, not that I've... I've had
1: self-service I've, I've, yeah, service, yeah. service, but not Wi-Fi.
0: It's, it's, uh, I mean I'm not a big fan of Wi-Fi in planes but that's very personal. Neither. I'm not against the rollout of Wi-Fi obviously because I think it's a choice. I, uh, For me the plane is one of the few instances when I can be on my own so I well, don't have exactly. Wi-Fi but I mean it's a choice. I just don't have to use it. But it's true that for once sorry I'm gonna I know the, 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 the reason the, the fact that I just said for once is not very nice but for once for that the US is actually really advanced. I've not seen a lot of Wi-Fi obviously in all my flights were even in, in, in Asia Pacific. Uh, there's mobile service, like you said, cell service is all, almost all over. It's extremely expensive, though. Mm. I mean, if you ever if you ever look at the pricing for Emirates cell service, just don't even think about making a phone yeah. call because
1: it, it's an interesting. I think uh, the U.S. has the distinct advantage of being a single landmass. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. which the infrastructure can be piggybacked across existing GSM, and there's a there's a there's a finite satellite footprint there as well. Whereas in Europe, you're going across. Multiple jurisdictions, uh, a, a distributed geographical footprint. So it's it's yeah. And in a- in Asia, you have basically sea everywhere. Exactly. So it's way hard. It's got to be satellite based, and then the cost increases exponentially. Yeah. So, but it's interesting. I think uh, there you was know, there, was, a there was, I a, think no I've,
0: I've read I've read uh will maybe share it in the notes. I've read uh, Nick Bilton from the New York Times writing that. <laughs> The, was really unhappy about the city Wi-Fi. It actually, the quality of Wi-Fi has, has been decreased over time. I, I guess it's maybe also mm. more people have been using it, and they uh, they still have to increase capacity. And another tidbit of news: I think I've read also that GoGo, I think is it called GoGo because you you fly in yeah. the US more. The uh, yeah, GoGo, yeah, the uh, Wi-Fi provider is promising new kind of speeds that will be basically broadband. Uh, which actually raises an interesting question: Is uh, there still and maybe you can correct me, they're still kind of blocking the voice capabilities. I mean, you cannot Skype, right?
1: Yeah, you can. I've Skyped. Um, okay. Okay, yeah, I think it. it depends on the airline and how they have it done, but uh, it was really interesting seeing how you how you uh, sh- sort of shape the bandwidth to, to the seat and to the connection, but yeah, you can you can do... I've done video conferences from 30,000 feet on flights from... No, the reason I'm asking Francisco. is it because
0: a lot of... it's the same thing with cell coverage. I mean, there's always been there's one thing is the technology, the other is the
1: behavior. I mean, well, yeah, exactly. That that is a thing. It's like you do you want actually having people around
0: you babbling for an hour and a half and just I mean if they're just normal with a normal tone of voice, but you, we know that uh, some people can be sometimes very rude in the, you know by shouting the entire yeah and the entire time. So I mean again, and again we'll see. I mean it's too early to say, but I, I remember seeing a uh, 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 survey I think it was a year ago where you know a lot of airlines said you know yeah, we could do it, but you just don't want to actually uh, uh, have voice because we don't have the flight attendants to start being some kind of you know uh, arbitrators of who's right and who's wrong into making a phone call or what's the actual you know polite you know noise level for a phone call et cetera I'd rather not deal with that headache and just not let people do too many phone calls yeah. I uh, yeah. I hope we don't get to that point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, still about a bit of technology. I mean, I, I'm not using any of these, but there's been a flurry of uh, smart carry on luggages in the past uh, six months. Uh, a lot of them come from uh, crowdfunding uh, initiatives, which why not? Uh, I'm just going to mention one that I had seen. Uh, I, I think it's called the Blue Smart Carry On. So you can do stuff like. Uh, lock and unlock your uh, carry-on with your phone Uh, I'm not sure it's actually extremely useful but why not Uh, you can have a there's a built-in digital scale so you actually know how much your carry-on weighs. so why not again uh, this is something uh, that could be useful one that is maybe more useful for some people there's a built-in battery uh, pack uh, that you can actually remove because obviously uh, some airlines if you had to suddenly check the luggage, in you know, some airlines actually have um. There's a, a limitation of what you can actually put in the hold mm. in terms of batteries. So you have like a, a battery pack that uh, you can recharge your devices. And there's something that I would I would not use, but I see people having problems with it is like the distance alert. So suddenly you get a, a notification if your carry-on is too far. And 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 the big the big one is location tracking. So uh, a lot of people say you know. I wish I could just, you know, pinpoint where my luggage is, especially when, and it happens sometimes, when well, the airline tells you, oh, the luggage doesn't arrive with you, so you could actually use that, and tell that would tell you where it is. I, I don't know. I mean, it's it, these are nice. it, it was funded well over the ask, so meaning that a lot of people are interested. I haven't actually seen the luggage. I mean, you know, for the moment, it's only uh, mock-ups. I think it, it got released, but I haven't really read any, any reviews yet. Would you buy
1: something like that? Not in a million years. <laughs> I just, it is like literally none of the criteria with, with which I use to make luggage purchasing decisions. I just, I can't even fathom why anybody would want this. I mean, I, I should I should step back and say in terms of a piece of industrial design, it's first rate. It's It's beautiful. It's neat. But I want my luggage to be robust and strong and light, reasonably, light exactly, reasonably attractive, um, I, I just can't imagine a scenario where I would ever want this over a well-made piece of, uh, of baggage from, from Samsonite or, or any of those other guys.
0: Yeah, uh, the, the other reason I would avoid, although I, I most w- what I've described as features are not features that I would be honestly interested in, uh, though I understand why some, why some people would, uh, the fact that I'm traveling uh, often in, you know, locations like Eastern Europe, Southeast Asia and stuff, I've had in the past, you know, whenever you have something that is... Not usual. Uh, security is sometimes looking at you like, oh, what is that? And I don't want to ever have to. To check that luggage because it looks bizarre. And this guy saying he would rather not have it. We're not sure about the policy, so please, can you put that on the, in the hold, sir, instead of the cabin? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I get in the U.S. I, I know that it's, the TSA has a lot of criticism, but at least it's a unified market, more or less. So you'd say that if that piece of luggage becomes prevalent, people will actually—I mean, security will actually usually judge it the same way in all airports. Uh, with the various airports I'm doing, I'm not trying, you know. I still see some, you know, there's still some um, uh, security, some airports where I still have to open my laptop actually boot it so people can actually see. So there's way too many variations for me. I'd rather to have something simple that looks the same in all over the world and that is, you know, traditional for people to look at.
1: Yeah, exactly. I just, lots more things to break, you know.
0: Uh, moving to the the app of the week, it's not it's not very uh, new nor something completely mind blowing. Uh, but since we're at the beginning of the show, it's uh, because it's only episode two. I wanted to mention it before we move on to more fancy stuff. It's uh, it's TripIt. I know, like uh, if you read any article about what is your the app that you used, the apps that you use when you travel, most most people, especially for con- frequent traveler, will tell you TripIt because it's basically an app where you can send your uh, board, your uh, boarding passes, your uh, booking tickets, et cetera, et cetera, and it will automatically populate an entry and give you everything from, you know, what terminal you're expected to be in, what is uh, the, what are the times you also track the times in most reports in the world, at least the Western world, Tell you that you know the gate has been changed. You can receive an alert that the plane is late, that the plane is early, etc., etc. It allows you to have in one single app an overview of your travel, and you can also do that with train reservation. I've done that with when I go to Paris, I use a Eurostar. Uh, you can add your hotels as well. It reads most of the at least the airlines. I've never had any issue once with an Indian airline, actually a domestic Indian airline. I sent the uh, the booking, and you wouldn't read it, but then you can actually do it manually. Uh, with hotels, it doesn't always work, but I, I like it because honestly, even though I don't look at it anymore or something, wow, uh, I just find it fabulous for the fact that it just solves a big problem, for, a big headache for me. I don't have to look in any information
1: up; it just sits there. Do You use yeah. it? Oh, religiously. It's yeah. a phenomenal app, and it, it, I'll never forget as long as I live. I went to Foo Camp, which is um, Tim O'Reilly's. Uh, Kind of unconference that happens in uh, in Northern California in 2006, July 2006, and I met Greg um, Brockway, who was the founder, and he gave this kind of pre-alpha demo of it to to some of us who were fellow travel nerds. I remember thinking, God, this is going to be so useful because you're right, you get all of these, you know, flotsam and jetsam. From all of the different travel providers of data, and you just forward the email to an account, and everything gets consolidated and cleaned up, and it's all there. And if I if I'm if I need to find my confirmation number or flight time or terminal, I don't go back to the email or the airline website. I just fire up the TripIt app, and there's everything. And the pro version, like you say, I've had times where the pro version has has alerted me of a gate change. Before. before the airline does,
0: yes, yes, yes. Before the airline, even before the the leaderboards on the, the the screens in the airport. You know, the screens in the airport. If you if you if you use, for instance, uh, uh London, uh, all the London airports in London, you'll see uh. You know the the gate will be announced at, and you have to wait thirty minutes. And yeah, usually the so app will cool. be that like way before. By the way, at the very beginning when I moved to London, I was like, it's impossible. They cannot know it that early. So I didn't trust the app, and I was waiting mm-hmm. to say something. But actually, always, always checked out. So it's, no, it's a it's great app.
1: app. Grab it, also, use uh, it. It's phenomenal. A
0: few, a few things more. You can also, um, if you are a business, you can have teams as well. You can actually have, uh, if you are. For instance, if you have a family, if you have a wife, you can add someone who it is in your close circle you he, mm-hmm. he is able to read everything, which applies as well for having an assistant. If you're not booking your flights directly, someone else can actually manage that for you. I mean, it's really a great app. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, moving on, I mean, we mentioned already in the show several times about, you know, we mentioned the Qantas and Samsung partnership, the uh, the in-flight VR goggles, um, the attention, the, the IFE. So, uh, want to talk a little bit more about. I mean, the future IFE is a bit a big, a big broad term. But, I mean, do you use what? Do you actually watch movies? Or use the IFE at all when you do long haul flights? Because usually long haul flights, you we use it for, right?
1: Oh uh, yeah, long haul definitely. Um, I don't think so much for short haul because it's just it's not really that available. But yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, I definitely watch movies. And that's about it. Uh, movies and, and the and the map, the moving map, I think is great. And if an airline has it, the, the external cameras.
0: Oh yeah, the A380 has the one of the tail, yes, which is, is one it. of the best. I mean, I think the A350 also has it because I've seen a picture from it. But I mean, this is yeah. I mean, I would use yeah.
1: that So one. I do, and I, and and the airlines that like that have uh, that live TV. There's something quite comforting about having live TV. You don't feel as kind of cocooned as you do with uh with just linear or on demand tv when it's live and it's just like the real world is still going on. There's something rather rather comforting about that. So yeah, I I do use it. I think.
0: But but I mean, since I mean we kind of hinted at it when we mentioned the Samsung VR headset at Qantas, it's still a very big investment. I mean, it's not only an investment in terms of price because the seats, especially if you were yeah. talking business or first class seats, are extremely expensive. The IFE is becoming more and more complex. If you've ever flown airlines from the Gulf, for example, the the uh, the IFE from Emirates is considered uh, yearly is always voted the most the best IFE with whatever that means. But I mean, it's, I've been using it. It's true you have like 500 channels and like thousands yeah. of movies, and then you have, you know, shopping and et cetera, et cetera. I mean, the, it's it's a very complex thing. Yeah, so it's a lot of investment, and at the end of the day, it's also heavy in a plane. It's not like very light. It actually adds to the fuel cost of an airline. So that's the reason why we're seeing some more, more initiatives about, you know, just basically getting rid of the screens overall.
1: It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I think you're right. I mean, nowadays those screens are not screens anymore. They're and Linux terminals or or embedded windows so well, they're fully functional computers. Windows, um, because
0: I don't know if it ever happened to you when they have to reboot the thing. Reboot, yeah, constantly. This is where you see what's the uh, operating system. What the, operating system is the, worst, the worst ones, sorry to interrupt, the worst ones are when they had, it was Air France at the, at the time, they've changed it so no harm to Air France here but they had to reboot the entire plane when one single seat was actually faulty, and I, I was responsible for one for that. Uh, it does work. I said, can you
1: reboot that? They said, yeah, and I seen all those seats. Yeah, well, that's reboot. the thing, isn't it? Wow. Now, I mean, that's that's one of the many, many reasons why they went to uh, to individual computers so that you could reboot, reboot you, yeah. you know. Yeah. Originally, it was the whole plane, then the whole cabin, then the whole row, and now it's just individual seats that they, that they can do. But each one of those boxes is around $10,000, um, so you do the math on, a, on a, you know, a plane just from a 320 all the way up to an A380. That is not a small amount of money. And like you say, there's weight and everything. And I think so, yeah, there are airlines that are, are going and putting in a single box with Wi-Fi now that Wi-Fi is, is okay on airplanes. And you just stream the content, be it movies, music, magazines, books, to your own personal electronic device. Yeah. which saves on weight, it saves on cost, it saves on uh, on repair. Uh, the, the flight crew have to then become technical support. Yeah. But I think one... <laughs> why isn't it working? Why can't I connect? Blah, blah, blah. I think there's a revenue opportunity there as well, you can do subscription, but I think because airline pricing has become so commoditized, there are there's an argument that IFE is one of the last differentiators um, that an airline can have. Food, seat, including IFE so for the airlines that can invest big money in IFE systems they're going to continue to invest
0: especially big. especially in the premium cabins obviously because the premium cabins is where the you know I mean I, I don't see Emirates or Qatar Airways just removing the IFE entirely I mean plus we're talking about screens that are, are like the size of your TV in your living room. Oh, yeah, in absolutely. <laughs> so, you well, I would to- also
1: argue that it's a differentiator in economy class as well because in the premium cabins you've got so much of a so much distraction with food and showers and bars and you know just all of the goofy gadgets that you've got around you that but in economy you don't and I think that people yeah sure that price is gonna be a bigger differentiator than the quality of the in product but I still think that you know, airlines are going to continue to invest in, in content. And I think also they're learning quite quickly that it really is about content. Um, and some of the, the weird, uh, slightly bizarre apps, quote unquote, that they develop that no one ever uses are, are going to get marginalized. And we're just going to be like as many TV shows and at, at the season level. Uh, and movies and, and and that's where the money will go in terms of content investment.
0: But interesting news is uh, we mentioned GoGo earlier and uh, GoGo has this product called GoGo Vision, I think. And they actually provide this or uh, they provide Wi-Fi for uh, for airline careers and on top they say, okay, here's a service when you can also have entertainment content, so the movies, etc, etc. And uh, but that's one that's one avenue and the other avenue, and because I still see it maybe it's a midway, is actually uh uh, you have uh, airlines that just keep whatever system they already have and just add it on the current Wi-Fi, yeah. and they even provide you with tablets. I've I've been in some airlines when I guess because it's a transitional period, some you know you can request a tablet, some will make it pay, uh, some will just give it to you. Uh, uh, so it's. Uh, I, I mean, I think at the end of the day, like you said, I think we'll the, the ones who've been investing in IFE heavily as a differentiator will continue to do so. Uh, the LCC especially that have never had IFE might actually uh, you know, tell you, oh, here's you can pay $20 and have access on whatever device you have. Uh, in the middle market, uh, we'll see. I, I, I think the, the Dreamliner, for instance, many of the Dreamliners that have been ordered do not have um, IFE in economy. I think they're moving all towards a model of, of streaming, the bigger question is, and I agree with what you said, is the the, the, suddenly the IT support you have to provide. Because if you have a single device, if it's I don't know, only iPads, it works. And suddenly you have someone who has a Samsung and the other guy has a Xiaomi and someone else has a Windows. Yeah. Service. and It becomes a bit that complicated because the expectation is that my tablet will work. And if, especially long haul, if it suddenly doesn't, then you're really, really, really mad. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. I think I think I think it's something we'll see more and more. I think that more and more airlines will go will go there. Uh, uh, yeah, and I
1: think that what we might see in bigger airlines uh, is is kind of this hybrid model of long haul planes have uh, embedded IFE systems. You know, the screen in the back of the seat, and then on their short haul fleets, they'll offer the the streaming service um, and and, and Wi Fi, um, and that way you can claim that you've got one hundred percent. And all your flights, short haul and long haul, but you don't have that added cost of retrofitting your your short haul fleet with 180 screens.
0: What about was it Virgin? I'm not sure. What about there was this this airline that
1: allowed you to uh, basically contact any other seat in the plane. Yeah, so I mean, when we launched Virgin America, we had seat to seat chat. Um, How did it work? Did actually people use that? Um, yeah not a whole lot because it's it's quite difficult to to type a message on a small very small little keypad on the back of the IFE controller but um, it was kind of fun. it was kind of fun to be able to know that you could you could do that and I don't I don't think that the development cost was 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 huge but I don't think anybody else had that um, that, that kind of feature and you know there were occasional flirtations and uh, and all of that but, uh, yeah, I don't know how often it was the, used. The,
0: the, other, the other thing that I think, because you kind of mentioned it, you mentioned that it, it was very hard to actually chat with the small controls that we've seen. Also, again, some airlines are now moved to like crazy tablet control systems. But in, that's the other thing, is that the experience of the tablet, and here I'm not making any preference uh, in terms of who is the best tablet in the world, but... It's just better. I mean, if you just look at, the, if you just think about the games that it provides you with, IFE, even mm-hmm. on the best IFE systems in the world, it sucks. I mean, yeah. we're talking about games not even from the eighties, and the experience, the way to actually to play, lags, and the, the, the display is not working correctly. Where suddenly you can open a new like, having games that are up to what you can find on the market, and that also opens an avenue for airlines, maybe especially LCC, to say oh, we can do a, a deal with I don't know, Rovio and Angry Birds, and you can have like you know suddenly have new deals of you know the traditional in-app purchase that you do personally, you can have a system like that in planes, and the planes just said yeah. they can just talk to content providers, in that example, game providers, and say hey, here. Can you put our our game in our Delta, Delta flight and people will, you know, buy for to buy to play or something? That's an interesting avenue as well for revenue.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I definitely think that, that that content is is gonna be the way to go as opposed to trying to develop all of these weird in in app you know, embedded app systems. It's much better to go with a proven, familiar app ecosystem.
0: Exactly. Any, any. I mean, again, something that we'll keep talking about because there are always news about this type of uh, technology in the plane. Any, anything you wanted to add about this?
1: I'm just interested to see where we go in terms of UX. Um, for some reason, airlines seem to be in the stone ages when it comes to IFE, user experience, and and UI. And except for a few uh, um, rare exceptions like like Emirates. Um, I'm wondering if finally we'll be able to bridge that gap between the expectation that has been set by the apples of the world and just general web design in, in general uh, and try and gra- drag IFE UX kicking and screaming into the 21st century. So hopefully, someone can uh, make them aware of how far they are behind the curve on that.
0: Uh, and I would mention something is that if planes move to a, a full, you know, bring your own device type, They should actually provide uh, power
1: because
0: (laughs) yeah, very true. Because still, you can still find long old flights when you know the power is not in every seat, uh, and that would obviously be a problem because if you need to actually stream a movie for twelve hours in a row, um, good luck with any kind of tablet, honestly. Uh, So that's one thing they also should have. There was a friend of mine who used to work in a a big, uh, one of the big um, IFE uh, providers in the world. I won't name it here because I don't know how. uh, if, 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 if that information is a privilege or not but what he told me is I think that on very big airplanes like this 777 or the A380 the IFE system, the power that the IFE system uses the equivalent of a building of oh, I think it was 15 floors. It's just wow. amazing. The the, the the amount of power required just to make the IFE work. Um, oh, and yeah. We know that a plane is a self-contained unit in terms of energy. There's not like you got to plug it somewhere. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so uh, it's uh, it's interesting. The other thing, obviously, is safety. I mean, we all know, and I, I know there uh, are less fun comment, but uh, Swissair uh, 11, which was 11.11, 11, the one that that crashed in 98, was apparently maybe due to... Uh, uh, an electrical wiring. issue with the uh, yeah, the wiring with the IFE. It's, it's it becomes also extremely complex. You have to wire all the seats, etc., etc. And maybe having just a, a streaming system might uh, also kind of make that all more easy. I don't know. Anyway, uh, this is something we'll again address in the future because I like it anyway. Uh, uh, moving on to the question of the week, uh, you handle that. Uh, the question of the week.
1: Sure. Know. So so one of the things that a lot of people ask. Uh, when they're going to fly it, is how old is the airplane <laughs> going to be? Uh, you know, and it's, it's interesting, and I think people are looking at it more from a safety thing, which is, you know, it's not really a thing. I mean, planes are, are very, very safe, but it is kind of interesting. And so there's a bunch of different ways that you can answer this question, both in the moment and beforehand. Um, beforehand, you can look at airfleets.net, which is a, an extraordinarily comprehensive database of... Commercial airline registration numbers, um, and it tells uh, the 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 general makeup of an airplane of an airline's fleet, how many planes they have, down to the the age of every single airplane in the fleet, and where that airplane has has been in terms of previous owners which is always really interesting, at least to people like me. Yes. Uh, so you can look at a plane and go, oh, it went here, and then it went to this airline in this country, and then it came back, and now I'm finally going to fly on it next week. Um, there's also that app that we talked about last week, the Plane Finder app. Um, and you click on any of those uh, planes, and it will tell you when it was first uh, rolled off the line and when it did its first flight. And I was watching last night. There was two BA flights flying almost right next to each other, one going London Cape Town and the other going London Johannesburg, so both heading in the same direction. One was a less-than-one-year-old A380 and the other was a 24-year-old
0: 747
1: <laughs> Oh, wow. So it was interesting to look at the average uh, average fleet age, but it is kind of in- interesting to see. And the final thing, and this is what I do, with almost without exception, and, and I, I, Paul saw this uh, when we flew to Warsaw a couple of months ago, on most airplanes, but very specifically the A3 1920 and 21, as you walk onto the airplane, the door is obviously open, and on the inside of the door there's a little plate with the air, aircraft registration number and the day of manufacture, month and year. So you can just take a quick look, turn your head and you can see exactly how old the airplane is. Um, without having to guess based on how it looks on the inside and the outside, you can get a very good sense of exactly how old...
0: I mean, this this was for me an inception point because since then, every time I fly, I actually try to locate that little plate and just to
1: It's see. just interesting. And, it, you know, it, I think almost every commercial airline has it or something like it in a very similar spot. But the, the A320 ones are the easiest to read because they're, if you know where to look for them. But uh, maybe we'll post a picture on, uh, on layer so you can yeah. see exactly what I'm talking about.
0: Exactly. Exactly, uh, and the last bit of the show. So the uh, we call the show HKG, um, so the airport from uh, Hong Kong, an airport very dear to the heart of Alex uh, because he used to live there. Uh, I've only flown there, uh, so I will also let you take this one. Have you have you ever actually flown to the old one, you know Kai because that was that was something.
1: Okay, so yeah, Hong, Hong Kong was my home airport for 10 years, and. So I flew into Kai Kai Tak many, 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 many times. I went to school under the flight path, um, where every ninety seconds, without exaggeration, every ninety seconds, lessons would stop. Plane goes over, carry on. And when I first got to the school, I was like, "Yeah." When I first got to the school, I was like, "What is going on?" And then you just it becomes a second nature as breathing. And remember, this this is, you know, I'm old. This was a long time ago, and these were in old, you know loud Lockheed L-11 tri is going over and that type of thing. And I also got to fly the, the Runway 13 IGS approach uh, in a Cathay 777-200 simulator, uh-huh. uh, which was fun, uh, a lot of fun. But, and, and you know, they moved to Cheplock cock What I wanted to mention today, which I think is kind of fun, is that uh, Hong Kong has one airport, uh, it's not like London, which has six airports or anything like that. Um, so when they moved them, they had to turn off one airport and turn on the next airport seven hours later. So there was this extraordinary project to have the last flight out, which was Cathay flight to London, shut the airport down, move everything across one of the most crowded and congested cities on the planet to welcome another Cathay flight seven hours later. And it was a thousand vehicles and barges kind of, you know, everybody's going, okay, it's gone, run, 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 go across the city. The whole city was shut down. And, you know, all things considered, it went almost flawlessly. And they managed to open up this new airport seven hours later and the old airport shut down. There were operational things run out of Tak for a few months after that like cargo data which actually was one of the reasons why the cargo terminal at Kai-Tak, or pardon me at Tabletcock was a bit of a uh, troublemaker at the beginning but uh, yeah it was uh, <laughs> it was a, it was an amazing feat of, of logistics and operations for which I think everybody involved should be immensely proud but both airports were and are world class, um, really extraordinary feats of engineering. They they had to level two islands in Hong Kong. And
0: yeah, what's about it? It's re- partly reclaimed land, right? Did yeah. You? So, right, so
1: uh, absolutely, Chet Lok is kind of a man-made construction as an island, um, which but is. The,
0: the, but the approach is not as.
1: No, uh, it's not nearly as cool as it was. Yeah, but it's fine. pretty because you you fly through. Uh, on what is now almost a man-made valley so it is quite sus- susceptible to uh to downdrafts um and actually it's 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 taken out the occasional airplane um i don't know if you remember the mandarin airlines md11 yeah. dz10 that flipped over and, and landed uh that was because of of this weird artificial weather system that had, uh, or, uh, uh that had taken place but there are really great airports worth just flying into just for the sake of it.
0: Well we might actually both fly there uh, soon this year so that will be (laughs) a nice experience maybe actually together I think we're run uh, we are the end of that runway actually because it's the end of the show uh, I remember saying uh, at the beginning of the first show that ah, oh, we'll do 25 minutes we can of uh, very quickly so that both of us like to talk about it so we'll do actually shows that run between 40 and 60 40 and 60 minutes because we have a lot to say <laughs> yeah. so that's a new expectation uh, we run through 60 this time so uh, I think uh, we're gonna just say goodbye and I'll see you next week Alex right
1: and you and don't forget to follow us on Twitter and subscribe to the uh, to the podcast Podcasts, and we'll talk to you all next week. Okay. Bye-bye, everyone. Cheers. Bye. Good to see be-